Open Nesters podcast is a weekly podcast that explores new ways of living as our kids leave the nest. Now in season three, the podcast topics go deeper and wider in interviews with individuals, couples, and experts in areas ranging from relationships and families to adventure, spirituality, and sexuality. This episode is all about not trying to stay young, as is in the signature of Kyrie. Let's hear it from Ashton Applewhite in Kyrie Carpenter. Welcome back to the Open Nesters podcast, Ashton Applewhite. And it's so exciting to have Kyrie Carpenter, who I've been on her old school clear, you're both of your old school clearinghouse line on a few different calls online to talk about ageism. So welcome to both of you. Thank you. So Thank you. it's Thanks a big us. topic. And Kyrie, who who I love, I love her signature because, um, you know, she's 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 definitely about, you know, not trying to stay young because none of us are going to stay young. It's like, when are we going to look right in the face at what we're going to become? So I'd like to talk about that. And uh, I, I told Ashton before she got back on this interview, she's one in our, in our season one, and now we're in season three, that I had heard her on a, another podcast. And we talked, and and what, when she talks about the uh, aging versus affinity, which I know we will all be able to discuss very easily, I just love, you know, the idea that we're not, we're not going to be successfully aging. That's not, that's a, a term that everybody uses in such a weird way. So I would like to start there with both of you that, that there's no, I mean, are, are we successfully young? It's like the idea is that are we putting, we're putting this value on that altogether. And rather than, um, you know, aging as kind of the best we are in our own terms or on our own terms, which is the way I'd rather phrase it. Like, so I think the two of you are addressing that. And Kyrie, you're not as you're, you are younger. And it's okay to say we are, Ashton and I are older. And that's why I actually will ask you first. So, 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 so aging successfully, what does that bring up for you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, what it brings up for me, if I think about it, aging is synonymous with living. It's something we're doing, you know, from the day we're born till the day we die, we're aging. And so, uh, to be aging successfully is to wake up alive the next day, um, in my definition, if I think about it. So I feel like it's a little bit of a, a misnomer. And honestly, it smacks of being tried to be sold something. Um, you know, so you're sort of saying like, yeah, are we young successfully? Well, there's a lot of ideas in our culture about what it means to be successful and at what age we're supposed to do certain things even um I have a small child, so I feel like my brain's sort of halfway divided between those two worlds right now of like all of these milestones of like, you know, is she successfully aging if she's a little, you know, quote unquote, late to walk? Um, you know, so I think it sort of starts there and it gets worse and worse the older we get. And we have these ideas like, you know, so when people use that term, what they usually mean is, are you able to continue to act like a younger age than you are? Are you able to continue to act like a 30 or 40 something Look like in it. how you... Yeah, look like it, act like it, earn like it. Um, you know, I feel like that's a, it's a term that gets really caught up with capitalism. But I know Ashton has a lot on this too. No, I, I agree. I mean, I, I like the way you introduced it. You know, we don't succeed or fail at childhood or adolescence, and neither should the second half of our life be subject to that. Um, it does have a lot to do with 
um, with class, socioeconomic class, which no one talks about in America, but, you know, in order to quote unquote succeed at looking and moving like a younger version of yourself, you need leisure, you need good food, you need gyms and all those things cost money. So, so that's where capitalism comes in because they can sell you stuff. Right. And it's where class comes in because those, um, remedies air quotes around the remedies because i don't think it's a problem that needs to be fixed but those remedies are available only to people who are lucky and predominantly well off and and just to the idea of of putting a value judgment on it and also the way we ourselves value success so amir and i did an episode recently on success and he and i are very different about when we say success he always sees it as achievement oriented and I tend to see it as moment by moment joy of how we live. It's like, we, and, and, and we both learn from each other over time because in order to succeed at something, you do need to be focused to get to it if you want to achieve it. And yet success is really a very broad open term that brings back the idea of a value judgment. And mm -hmm. so I, I do know, I mean, and it's interesting because it is the MacArthur Foundation that did this successful aging thing report years ago. And and we are countering such a huge trend about people saying, oh, you look great for your age or, or how old do I look? And how, how do I look like? Why is that important? So I do want how, how do both of you respond to that. You look, you know, you look great for your age or or, 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 you know, how, 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 and people who want to know how old I look. And that's why they're always countering it by doing something else. So I'd be curious about how you feel about that. The only snappy answer I've come up with in 20 years is an answer to that, which is you look great for your age too. <laughs> and let that awkward silence sit there because then the person who said it has to realize, oh, wait. You know, I meant that as a compliment. Why doesn't it feel like one? And if we can provoke those moments of reflection in a way that isn't gotcha, you know, or, or, or nasty, put someone on the defensive. But it is in that moment that that person's point of view is never the same again. I will say that, you know, I keep changing what I talk about and how I talk about it and what I don't see anymore. And I now have a blanket policy of not commenting on any woman's appearance period it's a hard thing to do when you've had years of your parents have been saying oh you look great or you look thin or you look this or you look at it it's like you've had years of it when you're little and and my daughter's mm -hmm. helped me a little bit with that i mean a lot with that i should say because by the time she went to wesleyan and she was in this you know very sex positive atmosphere she was like you don't fat shame people and you don't by saying you look thin you look not you look just stop so aging is the same, but we just do it all the time. And and Ashton on the interview, um, uh, uh, I'm uh, uh, forgetting her name from Curious, Curious Fox. Fox, Effie. Effie Blue. Effie Blue asked you again, and seemed to say something about what's so true is we don't ask people how old they are when we see them in person, but on dating apps, and that's a whole nother world, how we're showing up and ages first. And then you also had mentioned to her also in the medical field, ages mm -hmm. first and so well first Kyrie, if you want to talk about your response to to how old how old people look kind of and then we can go into the other things yeah i think i love i just want to you know sort of double down on what you both said two of them i like the response of you look great for your age as well and and i also think there's been so much movement um you know particularly in um, queer and feminist spaces about not placing value on our looks and the same goes for aging. So I love that you sort of brought that in and 
The final thing I'll say too, that it does create, yeah, it's a single standard of beauty issue. Um, when we say you look great for your age, that there's a way that 42 or 77 or 32 six is supposed to look. And if you don't look that way, again, there's the success failure thing happening. Um, so the only thing I'll sort of say to that is maybe a great way to prime yourself against this is um, one of our colleagues is Marianne Alda, and she's a comedian who speaks up. She has a TEDx talk called Ageism as a Bully Stand Up to It. Um, but she has a whole Instagram dedicated to say your age loud and proud, and women submit a photo of themselves with their age. And what's so awesome about it is you can scroll and find numbers that are the same and very uniquely, wonderfully different women. And it really helps blow that myth that there even is a right way to look at a certain age. So I feel like that's one, um, particularly that intersection of sexism and ageism that we as women are really called to challenge um, because it's so embedded there. And people are challenging it. I mean, another campaign that came uh, a website called The Bias Cut, which is a fashion label and challenges ageism explicitly in fashion. It's part of their mission is um, I'm uh, it's another Instagram thing where you take a short video and you say, I'm so and so um, I'm I'm 71 and I look my age. Mm-hmm. So I see the fact that these campaigns are emerging as a sign that women really are um, not, you know, not 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 settling for the status quo anymore. And I hope people will share this podcast like I share articles all the time on this topic. When people ask me that, how do I look for my age? I, I stop them in their tracks by saying, you are beautiful at your age, baby. Mm-hmm. And I'm sending them this because if we don't stop doing it, we repeated that pattern that as as the open nesters, and Ashton is also an open nester, as a person at this age that we're modeling for our adult kids, if we don't stop it and then help them to start to you know counter this trend of, of and also these all, all areas. So our queer communities, and my daughter is in the queer community, have helped us. And I know, Kyria, you work in identity and intersectionality as well as part of your coaching and things work you do. So, yes, let's talk about how that all those values that we place on good and bad. Yeah, I think what Ashton already said of just trying to make a habit of, you know, yeah, you're, you, I know you two are saying as open nesters, you're modeling for your adult children. I'm thinking about my my small child and how often people comment on her appearance already at a year and a half. And I just like, and even myself, like I find myself it just comes up. And so I think it's about You've removing those value it. judgments. <laughs> um, but yeah, right. It's about, it's about having a light hand with it. Exactly. Like Ashton just did, right. Not getting shame on ourselves for saying good or bad, but I think it's wherever we can saying something different. Um, another one of our colleagues, Bill Thomas um, has a habit of saying, I love your face. And I really like that because it's not saying you're beautiful. It's not saying you look better than this other person. It's saying there's something about your face, which is so full of expression for most of us. So part of our identity. And, and I always really like that. Like, Oh, you have a great face. I just love your face. Um, what a nice way to, to, to have us all remember to not, not talk about you look good. I mean, it's one thing if you're wearing a, a beautiful outfit and somebody wants to say that outfit looks beautiful on you. I mean, that is okay. It's yeah. like, but it's the value of being good and bad. And it's so hard for yeah. us to break, but it's, it's so important, you know, cute. I think a, a little litmus test on the good, bad front is that in an ageist culture, this is a generalization, but I think it's also the case. Old equals 
is a, is a placeholder for insert negative thing. And yang mm-hmm. is placeholder for insert positive thing. When people say, you know, I don't feel old, what they actually mean is I don't feel useless or I don't feel sexless. I don't feel incompetent. And we can feel those things at any age. Mm-hmm. So the habit to try and break is this knee jerk association, much of which is is subconscious of, of old with negative and youth with positive, because that is at the heart of ageism, is attributing any value to age, which is, I think, what you're getting at, Tessa. Age is real. We should say our age. I'm old. Curie is a lot younger. That's just a fact. But we shouldn't. Ideally, we need to break the habit, which we all have, of attaching a whole set of assumptions the minute we hear those facts or hear that number. Absolutely, that value thing. And and then also, what do we value? Like, I I think, and I say it all the time to all age people, that they're cute or adorable. And and I know mm. that sometimes that that's become, because of TikTok, you know, looking at older people as if it, it's patronizing, but I, I like being cute and sexy. If someone says that to me, I'm fine with it. So I also have a little bit of a different different way to look at it, and I'm trying to say I don't need that. Just let's look at what do you like about me, you know, like more specifically. And it's hard, it's just so hard to break. I feel like it is something, a cult, something that even if it feels, and for a lot of people, it feels really good to them when people say you look great for your age. Because well, like Ashton was saying too of, um, and so I love what you said, Tessa, too, about you, you like being cute and sexy and and you like that. So for you, those compliments of like, you look cute would be meaningful right? And would resonate with you. And so it's about knowing the person and giving a compliment that actually attaches to what, to who that person is and showing that um, resonance. But I think I want to double back on what Ashton said. Yeah, it feels good to get the compliment of you look great for your age. And what it does is unconsciously tells us that, and if you didn't, your value would be less, right? Like if you didn't look younger than your age, your value would be less. And that's why it's so, you know, this isn't just about word policing, or anything. It's about thinking what's going on in our brains and that internalized ageism, which thanks to the work of Becca Levy, we know has real impacts on our health outcomes and our longevity and all of these things that, you know, I think we can all agree we want to live, um, you know, as well as possible for as long as possible. Most folks agree on that. And so it's this internalized ageism. When you accept that compliment and take it as, oh, it is better to look younger than my age, that is making... Um, that internalized ageism in your mind more, which is going to have negative outcomes. And so it's that's that's the why, right? Like that's why I do the work and not just laugh it off of like, oh, it's harmless. They meant it as a compliment because that compliment has real consequences. Thank you. I mean, thank you for reinforcing this. This is like really hard for us to internalize. So I don't mind that we're repeating it. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, I learned on my first interview with Ashton when I was saying I do a lot of work being playful and mindfulness. I teach that. And and imaginative and the idea that I would say age, age, um, a playfulness is agelessness. And I stopped saying agelessness mm-hmm. just two years ago and age fullness. It's like, I want to be full of who I am in my age. And isn't that a more beautiful way for me to give the intention to my moment to moment living? It'll help me create a little more presence of being full of my age in any moment because I want to, I want to do what I the best I can. Nice. And, and, and so, so even, even sexuality, that's a big one for, and I know Ashton has talked about that on different interviews. How do we address mm-hmm. the bias of, of old age and she's all dried up and all the sexual 
you know, misnomers that are out there. I have to say that part of the successful aging narrative is that you are not only, you know, your your breasts are perky, your thighs aren't flabby, and you are out there having as much sex as you want. And, you know, for a lot of people, um, I, I got a, actually a, a call out once someone said, I think you didn't mention, you know, that there is a big asexual community, which is, by the mm-hmm. way, age independent young people has nothing to do with how cute you are or anything. There are people who are just not that into sex. It's not an important part of who they are and what matters in their lives. So I think in all of this, we need to separate it from age um, and not have a single standard that is right or better because it depends on the person. For most of us, libido diminishes. That's a thing. There are all kinds of ways to have, I mean, in fact, I always use sex as an example of things that we can't do the way we used to when we were young, but that, that that's generally an improvement, frankly. <laughs> but, you know, and there's a broader lesson there. If you want to ski or whatever it is, the way you did when you were 19, you're going to be disappointed, right? But if we can accept and adapt that their arch changes will be necessary and that many of them are for the better, if you can accept a more sort of holistic, whole body, slower tempoed version of what is good sex and a broader vision of who you might want to have sex with, you and, it's, and if it's important to you, you can continue to be sexually active. And I can't, um, I, I've got to mention Joan Price, um, the, the diva of senior sex, as she calls it, wrote a couple of wonderful books, including Naked at Our Age. You can find it on Old School. She is really the go-to expert on older people's sexual lives. And, and I'd like to say, as, a, as an older person, I have slowed down and enjoy sex in a much better way and a deeper, more beautiful, meaningful way in my life. And so I just think that the media has also ruined it for women when and, and doctors because they do expect us to dry up. So, I mean, they do expect it. And even if it happens in a physiological way, when our brain is stimulated, just like many women who get divorced or restart their lives or are polyamorous in a new relationship, all of a sudden you have you have your juices flowing again. So it just it goes to show that we've really, you know, and that's why I say even I, there are young people that are asexual and identify that when I carry I'd love you to discuss that. But I do want to say that I think part of the asexuality becomes just lack of use and practice because of being beaten down from it. Well, I, would, I would hope that that, yeah, I would hope, I guess um, I want to sort of back up because I feel like my sex life is interesting um, and different than most in that I was raised in a really conservative household in a religious context Um where sex outside of marriage wasn't something that you were to do. I actually have been previously married and I'm now in a new marriage. So I've sort of come out to um, sort of survived abs, what abstinence only training will do to your sexuality, um, which is really, really stunted. And um, for me to identify as queer, um, I'm attracted to people of all genders. And, but for me growing up in a context where, when I was ex- first experiencing sexual thoughts, I was told that they were bad and that I wasn't supposed to. That whole side of me was completely, you know, shunted because it's like I didn't even consider it. Like any sex was bad. I mean, I'm going to think about who I want to be sexually attracted to. Um, you know, and there's a lot of trauma and things that have that come from that. And so I just want to sort of say, like, from that context, it's like interestingly in my 
lifespan, I'm still at the point where sex is continuing to get better um, with, you know, every year considerably sex in my thirties is way better than the sex I was having in my twenties and a terrible marriage. Um, but also my, my friends, my older women friends say the same thing. Like, yeah, there's some, are there some, you know, different hurdles maybe hormonally, um, you know, are there, but there's wonderful loops for that. And there's lots of different ways to be intimate. So I like to actually even take, um, to embrace, you know, the ACE community too. I like to take sex and sort of broaden it to intimacy and thinking about how we all have a core need for intimacy. Um, even in the work I do working with nursing homes and training folks there, we talk about intimacy is it's a core part of well-being and are our intimacy needs getting met and how are they getting met? And I think taking that broader view, um, you know, sex can get so focused on like a penis and a vagina and it's so much more than that. And honestly, like, you know, there's very few people for whom that is the pinnacle <laughs> of um, sexual pleasure and intimacy and connection. And, and it's a part of the story for a lot of folks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, exactly. And so I think just having that broader definition of sex at any age, right? So it's, that's what I love about ageism is that it just weaves in to all of these other things that we're working on, right? So if we're thinking about sexuality, we need broader definitions of sexuality, including that sexuality is a part of an intimacy as a part of our identity, our entire lifespan, and something that we need to be continually looking for. How do we want um, you know, that to be met? How can it be met? What do we have access to to meet the needs that we have? Absolutely. I, 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 and I, I, you know, I wonder again about how we ask questions of people. So here I am a podcaster. I'm not perfect. I always say I can be graciously wrong anytime. And my daughter's taught me that because the only way we can enter a conversation sometimes is to be able to be open and listen to how we can self-correct and say, I don't have the answers of how to approach things. And look how much we've learned from our kids. Exactly. So, so the fact that we keep it suppressed, even the discussion of sexuality, and I wonder because you work in this in this arena, like how you ask questions so people can feel comfortable talking about it. And then just as an example with older, younger dating or how that affinity versus the age can be even about sexuality, how we can enter it with the questions that we are able to ask. Yeah, I think, you know, the place I usually like to start with stats because there's this myth that you know older people aren't having sex so i loved you know talk about the the highest rates of stis are actually in long-term care um and i think at least it used to be i know but like the highest rate in the country was you know around the villages in florida so like okay people are having sex at every age let's just like get that out there and i like to like you know you want to break the ice with that so the person's insane they're thinking am i the only one who is having sex or who is wanting to have sex but doesn't think you know i can um, and yeah, wanting to also be really respectful of identities. I certainly hope, you know, I'm sure there's people out there for whom um, they haven't had access to, you know, the kind of sex that they want to be engaged in or the partners they want to be engaged in. And maybe they are misidentifying, um, you know, as ACE or think that's what's going on. But as far as, but there also is, as Ashton said, this robust community of folks who, you know, identify as ACE or asexual and wanting to support you know, that. And so I think that's why I like the intimacy. If I was talking to someone, I would just be like, and we were connecting, I'd be like, so intimacy, it's a really important part of what's going on. Or do you have access to, you know, what you need to get your intimacy needs met? Like, what do you wish you had access to that you didn't, what would make that better? Um, or do you have a friend you want to talk about who has it's so some hard. people are, are sexually active, but it's some, but the intimacy part is missing. Right. I mean, I wrote a book about women and divorce, and a lot of these women were so lonely in their marriages, even though they were partnered. 
I, I guess I would turn it around a little bit, Tessa, and ask, um, you know, in this situation, ask the person who's curious what their what the age of the person they're curious about has to do with it. We all know women who were in, you know, uh, relationships and, and, you know, and the hot sex every 30 seconds, you know, <laughs> typically Peter's out, pun intended. Um, you know, who may not have been having sex for years. I know younger people that have had more sexual experience by 20 than I have at 71. Age is less significant than we think it is. The, the sort of the point I know you and I have talked about, about age and affinity is that we think age is more important than it is. And the very understandable reason behind that is that we spend so much time in same age silos all of school, for example. And then, you know, it depends on what kind of work we're in, but tech or advertising in particular, or we tend to, you know, our social lives are not age mixed and so on. And it's true of any kind of, of diversity. If you have a lot of friends who are queer, it gets really hard to be homophobic. If you have a lot of friends who are different from you in age, it's really hard to hold on to age stereotypes. So I understand why people think this way, but age is tells you so much less about a person than we think it does. And the older the person, the less it says. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are socially constructed barriers. We are, And that's what your work is doing, both of you. That's why I love having you on is because breaking them is 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 is. I, I'm trying to look at this as a great thing to do. We're going to break these barriers, it's, even as hard as it is. But it, so it's just kind of reckoning with these facts and being aware of our bias. Um, I mean, so if you have any check-in points that you know you've helped people with along the way, and even the way they ta- when their kids get older, all the um, all the all the things about you getting older and and things are expected of you at a certain age. Like I think that's a big part of it too. Like what. Our expectation versus all the other stuff, and then that causes frustration. Like, how do we stay with our what's possible? I want to go back to one more thing on the dating that you brought up that I feel like we didn't touch on that I think is really important is, you know, on the apps, how you can set an age range. And I think age ranges around dating, you know, just sort of piggyback on what Ashton said is really important. I'm, I'm also just, it's curious too. I don't know if we've all are aware of there's the golden bachelor now. And anyways, I, you know, everyone, all my friends know what I do. And so my friends were like, do you want to watch the golden bachelor? We keep thinking of you and we see the ads. Cause it's like, anyways. And so the like, shorts, sure. so I watched the pilot of the golden bachelor. Um, I've never watched another bachelor before. So watch your world. I know it. <laughs> what I did find interesting was, you know, all of the women that are potential matches for him. Um, are above, I think it was like above 55, maybe it was above 60, um, up to 80. So it's like a 20. And I made a comment of like, that seems like a pretty narrow age range. Like, why didn't they throw in some women, you know, because once we're, I think there's definitely a line, right? You're going to, there's going to be a line, an age of consent, and we're not going to want to cross those lines and fully develop prefrontal cortexes. You want people to be able to make sure that they're able to consent to, you know, partnership and sexual activity. So, but beyond that, once we're all in adulthood, able to consent i was like kind of like hey like why aren't there some 20s or 30s or 40 year old women here too how come um you know he needs to be only matched and then my friends is like well this is probably the biggest age range of women on the bachelor ever they're normally within like three years of each other right? <laughs> and so i just thought i just kind of wanted to put that out there too just thinking about age ranges and like why do we 
we have so many ideas about who we're allowed to date and it really shrinks our dating pool you know to the same way it shrinks our friends the way you know Ashton was saying too we stay in such age siloed groups um and think about the access to people we could have if we again on affinity tried to match with somebody more based on what life experiences you know have you had what sort of personality trait do you have yeah you care about what's your idea of a good time no actual affinity based on you know values or activities that you have in common i mean and i am i do for women i do see this in a gendered way i think with with reason i mean there's a really depressing okay cupid graph from a good 15 years ago but that you know as men it's an xy graph of the age you are and the age cohort you're willing to date in and with women as they get older the bubble around their age moves on up the graph but for men they get older and older but the women they want to date are all stay 17. I'm talking about straight men. Obviously, it's a generalization, et cetera. Um, but I do urge mm-hmm. older women to consider dating younger men. There are loads of younger men who are interested in older women's experience. They find us sexy. It's not a good idea if you want to have children. Well, most older women are done with that if they ever were into it. Um and but otherwise you know but honestly aside from baby making and extreme sports i don't think there's anything else that age inherently rules out in a date or a partner and you know i you might end up happily ever after you might have a short fling you might have a wonderful fling of many years but we are looking for different things as we age and you know broaden that pool Look, Amir is dating a woman a few decades younger than him, two and a half decades. And 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 he sees bias too, just in in being with her. So people always ask, you know, I don't know if they've actually asked about if she's his daughter, but she could be. And it is a hard thing, even if even if you're an evolved human being and dating. I mean, there's got to be a way for us to just help people look at affinity. I like to think of it as like a tree and. Um... Yeah, like a tree of our beliefs or thoughts. And so it's so often for us to think of whether we're talking about silos of yoga and dance or silos of Democrat or Republican or male or female or whatever the, you know, silo might be. It's really easy for us to think about how far away we are from each other and how different we are from each other. But I like to think of that as a tree with far reaching branches. Um, And so what I always try to do in these conversations with someone who I feel like is in a different silo than me is figure out where do we meet? Like, at what point do we diverge and keep the conversation there? So really find that common ground, whatever it might be. So maybe in like in the yoga and dance world, maybe it is you can come together around, okay, it's like both movement, how can we connect around movement? Um, you know, I think even in the age world, so if we're taking this into the age and dating context, like, oh, we could get really hung up on the fact that our ages are really different. But do we share a love, you know, of going to ecstatic dance together can we do that on a date do we share a love of pour over coffee whatever it is like finding the places where you're similar rather we focus so often on these minute differences um in each other more and more and more that's you know happening in politics and our social context um social media doesn't help right it gets us just with people who are more and more like us so these little differences seem really big i feel like that's my favorite way to break down silos is figure out where you agree and then keep kind of moving up the tree trunk to see like where is that first split um hanging out there can really help draw people together if that metaphor makes sense yeah and and it doesn't mean that we have to judge doesn't mean that we can't discern what we like with with that person Mm -hmm. 
versus if they, you know, we haven't, we, we oppose their politics or that wouldn't be somebody that we would definitely want to live with because they don't have some of the same values. We yeah. standing strong in who we are. And I think as we get older, and I, I like to talk about that as open nesters, we're defining what we love more. We're, we're letting go of what we don't and also letting go of the obstinance of what we think we've we've grown to to learn so that we are still open i mean that's what breaking these silos does and so even trying something on that we don't think we we like is is a great way to counter age it you know being aging in a way that people think you can't stay open you can't choose you know teach an old dog new tricks how do we we stay open if we see a couple or maybe even a triad or whatever you know that that challenges assumptions where there is a big age difference again it's you know the job in front of us always is to try to not let the internal biases we all have uh, based you know skin color appearance all these things to try and suspend that and look at what is actually going on between those people it's generally assumed that an older person is in a position to take advantage of a younger person but uh you could you could argue that the, the younger person has more social capital because of their youth uh if you look at it in a professional setting it is the person who has the job you know especially like student teacher stuff or you know boss and new person at the organization those roles are less gendered than they used to be in my opinion it's never a good idea to get into a relationship like that but it's more about power and people you know creeps come in all ages Older guys don't turn into creeps because they got older, right? Again, age really doesn't have, it's age is not the driving factor in any of that. Are people being respectful of each other and not taking advantage of power relations? Let's talk about other areas of what you are facing when you go out there in your both of your worlds and even in the, in the old school anti-aging ageism clearing house online, what kind of communities are trying to do things for countering ageism in your worlds and how people can get involved in that? I'll give a quick overview and then let Kyrie um, bring in some specific examples, which she always does so well. Um, it is really, really exciting to see this week in particular, um, because it's in the, October 1st is a, the International Day of Older Persons. So, it's always a big time in Ageland, uh, but but this week alone, two global campaigns to end ageism launched. One by an organization called Help Age International, which is wonderful because it has lots of pictures of older people from the majority world. Because an awful lot of people in this space look like us. You know, they they tend to be um, white women, older women, white women in particular. Their campaign is called Older Not Over. And uh, at the end of the week on October 7th is Ageism Awareness Day, which started in Australia a couple of years ago and is now a global event. So and, and then around these things are all kinds of smaller grassroots initiatives. So when I say, you know, the, the, the movement to end ageism is gaining momentum, there's real evidence. And people say, how do you know? I say, look at old school. When we launched, there was no campaigns section, and I just counted this morning. There are 35 campaigns, and there's going to be more. The next one up is a national campaign in the United Kingdom. So it really is happening from lots of different directions in lots of different ways, which makes sense because 
Aging is the universal human experience, and this is the one form of bias that every human encounters. Congratulations! Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. And Kyrie, about about different yeah. examples that you've seen that have been, or even what people are challenged by when they're when they're online, because I've seen some some of that. How you think and how that's overcome? Yeah, I think you know it's with um, the peak of a, you know there's a, been a raise of awareness about identity in general, about diversity and inclusion, you know, in the wake of, with a great push, you know, in the wake of George Floyd's murder, you know, um, Black Lives Matter, and a huge push around racial justice um, has also, because intersectionality works, not just um, in oppression, you know, Kimberly Crenshaw's concept that it's not racism and sexism don't live in silos, they interact in the person who holds those identities. Um but the same thing kind of works for raising awareness too. you know, it's a very intersectional approach. So when we're looking at all of the parts of our identity that affect how we're treated and seen in the world, um, age is coming up in really cool ways. And so I feel like a, one way we've seen it is um, a big way. So for folks who don't know old school, that info, which we've been referring to is an online uh, repository of all the best anti-ageism resources out there. And it's a project um, Ashton and myself did with a colleague, Ryan. Um, and you know, it's, we have compiled all of the best free resources to combat ageism in one place. Um, the books cost money and we have a little shop to so play things that cost money are separate, but we do all that for free in a big way that we fund the work that we do is through giving workshops and talks. Um, and that is how I'm going to answer your question, Tessa, of that we have seen um, who's asking us to give the talks is broadening, you know, so it used to be mostly just area agencies on aging. And I will say even aging services paying attention to ageism wasn't happening when Ashton and I, you know, met back in 2015. Um, that was pretty rare. And so now they're taking note, but, you know, we've, um, been brought in by organizations as diverse as the Indiana Colts NFL team. Um, so this is getting on, ageism is getting on the radar for a lot of different people. We've been brought on um, by tech companies, um, you know, who their uh, Google has the Greglers, which is kind of an ageist term, but that's their... We'll talk tomorrow. Oh, nice. <laughs> which is the but, ageist yeah. term, Greglers? I don't even know what that means. So it's a, well, they have employee resource groups for folks who share certain identities, you know, so the, at most companies, there'll be one for... Um, queer coworkers, um, you know, there'll be one for coworkers of color. Um, and so some have ones for age. Um, and Google's is called the Greglers. I would love for it to be more mixed age, you know, so just an intentional mixed age space, but that's me splitting hairs. Um, all movement is good movement. So just sort of saying that within the tech space, we're seeing that, you know, within the NFL space, um, we host a weekly office hours, which I think yeah, you've come to a couple of times, that's where you can just come and join an open conversation. And one of our regular attendees um, is in the movement space. Um, his name's David Wilson. He's on Instagram at old school moves. So kind of similar to our um, name, not on purpose, a happy synchronicity. But you know, the movement, I know he, he's been getting a lot of stuff in the yoga and dance communities. Hey, can you talk about ageism to the to these worlds? So beauty and wellness are starting to catch on, you know, even football, I feel like we're just seeing age come up in the conversation around diversity in a lot of different spaces. And that's really exciting to me. Oh, beautiful. I'm so happy that I get to get this message out in October, which I didn't even realize was all about anti-aging month kind of thing, uh, or ageism awareness, because awareness is the key. It's like I always say, 
if we have awareness and eventually learn emotionally, which is such a big part of our lives, how to regulate our feelings of insecurity, of defensiveness, of 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 anxiety, of all the things that we are we are hit by that all of a sudden we don't know how to respond to. It's a big it's a and we're not I'm not talking to psychologists here necessarily, but this is part of the things we talk about in relationships. How do we develop a relationship with someone so different than us? And I think when we start learning how to pause and do this kind of reflection on awareness of why is the older why is older or why is younger something? What's what's coming up? Like how is that coming up for me? And and how am I asking someone about that? So again, Effie Blue had said we don't go over to someone when we're just if we're dating if we're even meeting anywhere we don't ask them how old they are. We want to we want to come from a place of where can we connect? It's what you said about breaking the silos, even in the way we come into a regular conversation with a person. Like how do we? Where can I meet you? Where can I? Where can I meet you by by listening to you? And then we can see where where we connect with them and that would be the affinity how do you what are the ways you practice that give you peace about where you are as you age or even towards death which is a end of this end of life inevitability like looking at that how's your how's your perspective on aging well i didn't think about aging till i was in my mid-50s i mean it was just like something that happened to other people so i will say but I have a whole a whole thing in my book about becoming an old person in training, which is simply to acknowledge that you are going to get old. That is, as you said already, you know, several times, it's going to happen. You're going to get old and eventually you're going to die. But I don't think it's about mortality. I think that's a very separate issue, right? People may look at me and think I'm ancient, but they don't think I'm dying. Right? <laughs> okay. Right. Living. Right. Um, and becoming an old person in training is just a little a, a trick if you will it's it's as simple as acknowledging that you're going to get old that older you can be a distant speck on the horizon it's really hard to imagine getting old right it's we don't imagine that things will slow down and in ageist culture and ableist culture discourages us from thinking about it, right? So, but, and she can be as far away as you need for her to be in order for it to be psychologically tolerable. Just acknowledge that she's out there as a way to avoid getting on this hamster wheel of age denial. It's never going to happen to me. I don't want to think about it. Um, and the earlier in life you become an old person in training, the better people are often surprised that my two colleagues on old school, and they're the only people I work with. I'm a really, you know, cranky, solitary um, person, as I'm sure Kieran and Ryan would attest, are both in their 30s, um, you know, which is just another, and they are certainly old people in training, but I have learned every bit as much from them as they have learned from me. So good. Okay, so he, what about yeah. you? Yeah. I think I want to just I want to piggyback what Ashton said and tap back to it. Of, um, there's something that happens when you're in a mixed age relationship, but age isn't the focus. So a lot of times, again, I appear and am younger than most people who are in this sphere, and so that gets brought up to me a lot. Like, why is someone your age here? Um, and my my age does get referenced a lot, and that gets in the way of true connection. And I will say one of the things I love about working with Ashton is like, I genuinely never think about our age difference. Like it doesn't feel like it's the elephant in the room when in a lot of other mixed age spaces, especially if I'm 
coming in and make being the one making it mixed age, like being the one younger person um, in the room, it does. And it, and it can feel like that's the most interesting thing about me or the only thing people see about me is my age difference from them. Um, but there is this really beautiful way where, you know, Ashton, I connect on a lot on a love of bicycles, very different ones. She rides a much cooler bike than me, but we love, we love our bikes and we love our books and, you know, nerding out on things. And there's a lot of things we connect on and age doesn't in a really beautiful way, in a way that we've like kind of transcended that difference doesn't come into it. We, yeah, we connect on our love lives and our, and feminism and like all of these other things are so much more important than the fact that I think I actually am like maybe a year younger than your daughter, right? What year was Morgan born? I don't remember. Yeah, I think, but you know, I could be Ashton's daughter biologically. (laughs) Um, And that doesn't really, we do connect so much more on those affinity points, like we were saying, um, which is really beautiful. And because I am a crone in training, that's what I like, I take the the twist on Ashton's old person in training and call myself a crone in training. I'm really excited about that crone that I'm going to get to become and I love in your question, Tessa, that you said practice. How do you practice it? Because for me, it's so much about practicing. We're bombarded all day with ageist messaging. And um, so we do have to be really aware and conscious and keep it in our awareness to not internalize these ageist ideas. So I always say like celebrate change and get care. So our entire life from the day we're born to the day we die, we're changing. And we're having age-related losses, whether it's losing our baby teeth or losing our virginity. There's things that are happening for us that, you know, we're going to lose. And so it's about grieving those losses, honoring that thing you have you no longer have, but also celebrating what's coming next. So a real tangible example is um, there's an artist in Israel who makes jewelry out of her wrinkles. And um, so one of my favorite practices for, and I was kind of like, wait a minute. Um, And this is sort of also, I usually couch this in when I was 22, my dermatologist recommended prophylactic Botox. So like, you know, paralyzed muscles before they make the wrinkles. Um, And I have a big history with medical stuff, but I didn't want to do that um, because of the needles and the doctors. Um, And, but I saw this jewelry and I was like, wait a minute, if her wrinkles can be jewelry, why do mine have to be medicated away? And so a practice I have to embrace my wrinkles is when I get dressed up, I actually gild my wrinkles with gold eyeliner. Um, And so I'll sit there and like, you know, make them more pronounced and fill in my smile lines with gold. And that practice of being present with them, seeing them as something to highlight, not something to hide, is making me have a different relationship to them than I would if I only had the inputs from my, you know, from the broader culture that all wrinkles are bad and should be erased. Um, You know, same thing with gray hair. I'm starting to get some grays around my temples and I'll actually get like tinsel fairy hair added that's silver to kind of accentuate it. Like, Hey, let's celebrate the silver that's coming in. That's sparkly. That's fun. You know, and that fits my personality. So I would just say for, for anyone finding those things that you can practice to be your old person in training for me to be my crone in training. Um, I guarantee you crone curie will be sparkly. (laughs) And and I guess what I was getting to a, again about because grief is part of life and it's really hard for us to talk about this in two, in, in a short time so I'm not going to ask you again but I'll comment on it. I mean I do believe it's something for us all to think about that we do live the fullest life we can but how do we how do we 
look at ourselves as this crone that can hold court Mm -hmm. and see our life with such beautiful perspective that we can leave at whatever time we're meant to. Mm -hmm. And it's not, that's not an easy practice either, but it's one that I'm always trying to work on for myself. So this has been such a joy. Can you give us verbally how both of you can be reached and the best places for people to, I mean, I know you've already told us about old school clearinghouse, which is oldschool.info oldschool.info. Um, but what about, you know, each of you, if you'd like to be reached for whatever reasons and anything coming up that you'd like to talk about? Hands down, the best way to reach both of us is go to oldschool.info, click contact, and you'll see a way to sign up for office hours. So every single Wednesday at 1.30 Eastern, at least one of the three of us, Ashton, Ryan, and myself, um, most usually it's all three of us, but at least one of us will be there and it is an open forum to ask anything. You can hang out with the whole group of awesome. There's a group of 500 people who come in and out. And we usually have 10 to 20 a week there discussing whatever people want to discuss about ageism. Or if you want to talk with one of us directly, when you get to office hours, you just send us a direct message and we'll pop out in a breakout room with you. Um, but that is hands down the best way to get a hold of us. Um, also on old school, if you fill out the contact box, it goes to a shared email that all three of us see. Um, so that's really the easiest way to get a hold of both of us. Um, and I also have a website called thischairrocks.com where I have been thinking out loud about aging and ageism since 2005. So it's searchable by topic. Um, and it links to another Q&A blog I started called Yo, Is This Ageist? If you have a question about whether something you heard or um, maybe did, wondering if it's ageist, send it in. Uh, we're both really easy to find and we'd love to hear from you. Awesome. I'm so honored. And I thank you again for your time today. Really, thank you. Uh, I truly believe that ageism is such a relevant subject to the Open Esther's podcast because we all experience it, and as we get to that age, uh, I guess we get to that open nesting stage when we are older, aren't we? Absolutely, and ageism dismisses a version of our future selves. It says, I'm not going to get older, and, and that's, you know, we are all old people in training, which is what the framing that Ashton gives it all along is this. How do we say, even if we have to look at a way future version of ourselves, that we're not trying to stay young? We know that we need to change this whole really deep programming inside. We really do. Um, Ashton says that, you know, aging is something that happened to other people. And I have to admit, uh, many, many years I thought that... uh, I'm exempt from that. I'm not going to age, and it doesn't really matter. And I'm going to stay uh, as good-looking as I am uh, forever and ever. And it doesn't really matter. Well, you actually know that I think you're better-looking as you've aged. So it's like I'm more attracted to you, and I think it's really amazing when we come into our authentic selves from the inside that we have a glow that has not to do with no wrinkles. What's the beauty? How much hair do I have? How 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 can I wear these clothes and, and look really hot and sexy and in a young way? Rather, how do I embrace my own way of being like I like cute and sexy? I can do that for myself. But the, the, the idea is, and I love that she has this, Ashton has a yo is this ageist for us to ask questions about. And, and uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, you know, I, 
I always thought that when somebody says to me, well, you look so much younger to your age, I always took it as a compliment, but Ashton reframed it for me, and by answering to the person, you look great to your age also, and that already means a lot to me. It's not a compliment. It is really, uh, I guess, uh, ageism. It's ageism. <laughs> it's just we have to we have to detect it and pause and 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 kindly look at people in order to just to really re reframe things in order and change them because what we're really saying when we say I feel old is what she said is what we have to look at what the real feeling is. Right. I feel tired. I feel a little exhausted right now. I have no energy right now. I feel um, beaten down, and, it, and that's not necessarily. Just because of age, it happens at all yeah. ages. Yeah, it doesn't mean I'm useless. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm sexless or I'm productive. Exactly. Yeah, I, I'm getting it. Listen, I know. I, I had to go through that process myself, and I did, and I'm going through this right now, and I'm trying to uh, figure it out uh, as, as I age myself about ageism. And it impacts our longevity. I mean, there are studies done on that. Rachel Levy, and right here, I mean, Yale, Yale person, she's done all these studies on the how when we have that bias for ourselves and we, we're always thinking that we want to look young, we're in a constant battle to do that. It's never going to be. We're never going to. We all are going to age. We're and, all going to age. And, and in this open nesting stage, we get to that age and we feel that, oh, maybe we feel that this FOMO, fear of missing out. We have been working with our kids, dedicating our life to our kids. And now now it's our time. Uh, you know, I'm still young and I can do things. But no, you are the age that you are, wherever you well, are. Well, instead of saying, I'm still young and I can do things, I am this age yeah, and I can still do that's things. That's exactly <laughs> what I said. You just oh, took oh, it okay. away from me. And, you know, the age says so little about you as a person. It, does, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't diminish your total value just because you are uh, the age that you are. I mean, as we get older, we get less, we can have more in common with people rather than age. Like when we're babies, it's the tiniest age because then it's hard for you to be playing parallel play if you're one of the kids is 10 that's communicating and the baby is a ba brand new baby. But now 10 years is nothing and then it becomes less and less and less. And, it, and that's what's so beautiful about these getting out of those age silos. I've had a lot of interaction with younger people as you do. And, and I think that really is what helps us stay very open. I would use the word open. Open, absolutely. That's the open nesting stage. And, you know, dating a younger woman myself at this stage of uh, my life, uh, truly, age does get in the way of true connection. I mean, if I had or she had any ageism, then we wouldn't have been able to develop That's this right. beautiful connection that we have. So it did not get in the way. Uh, agents did not get in the way of our beautiful relationship that we have right now. So, so much relevant stuff in this particular podcast. So much meat and so many things to think about and change the way we think and the way we behave, really. I had a conversation with him when we got off the line about Botox and, 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 and you know, people pursuing that look. And if we're not doing it, at least, I mean, what really hurts me is that 20, 30-year-olds are doing it. I don't want to judge anyone who, if they need it for their career, if they have to, I, although it's really just a discerning what is it that we can handle in our bodies. I mean, women, women that dye their hair, women that don't. What can we actually handle? And if we could take one step toward gilding our, our, our beautiful wrinkles and looking at our hair and our, and our 
and from the inside out finding our our value and our beauty mm. it's really the process i hope to see people on and not having as much botox where we don't see the expression as much so true but you know again that's people uh impression of themselves and that's how they behave and that's why this uh botox industry and plastic surgery is a thriving uh, industry right now it is so and we have to celebrate the change and that's the idea of of and that's hard to do and then get care for as we get older thank you ashton and Kyrie. wonderful excellent um relevant podcast definitely and if you like this podcast i'm sure you're going to like other podcasts about ageism there are plenty of them on our website theopennesters.com double in the middle s at the end and please leave us a message tell us what you think let us know if you know of anyone or any couple that would like to be interviewed on our podcast that can add value to all our many many listeners absolutely and thank you again for being such a good sharers and keep sharing and subscribe to the podcast and follow us on instagram and our closed facebook page if you'd like to make some comments and hear back in a discussion about ageism till next time this is amir and this is tessa and we will see you on the next episode ciao You have been listening to the Open Nesters podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio engineering by Lucid Sound. Web design and blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.